Hello, thanks again for dropping by for another Zoomcast, brought to you as always by the Joe Gilligan Trust. Today's guest is Katie Poole. Katie and I go back a long way as colleagues and friends. She is an English teacher. She has been a head of year, a learning mentor, and has an emerging interest in coaching. Now, Katie will explain what this means in the interview, but it's important to know that a coach will not give advice, but enable reflection and understanding. Katie has a real flair for problem solving, for common sense, and will always put the needs of others before herself. We began the interview by exploring in more detail what coaching is. So coaching um, is something that a lot of people think about um, in, along the same lines as counselling. It is very different, but essentially it's a talking therapy um, that is a powerful, potentially life-changing um, process, really. It takes the form of a series of conversations. So if I was working with an individual, um, they would come to see me or I would go to see them. We'd sit together. And for usually, I work for usually about an hour and a half with somebody. And we have a conversation about that individual and their, their specific situation. I'm trained to um, use certain listening skills. And that involves reading their body language, their facial expression, listening to the intonation of their voice is really important as well. Um, and based on what they say and how they say it, I then ask them a series of questions. Um, and those questions tend to be quite powerful, really. Um, they are designed to encourage the thinking of that individual. Um, and it helps them to identify patterns of thought and behaviour that they currently have, um, allows them to explore decisions they might want to make um, and to set goals. And the ultimate aim of coaching, this is where it differs from counselling, um, counselling very much focuses on healing the past of an individual, but coaching is really focused on the future. And for, so for some clients, they work with both a counsellor and a coach at the same time. For some people, um, when I have an initial conversation with them, it might be that I realise that they need a different form of therapy. Coaching might not be appropriate and, you know, it's ethically correct to signpost them onto the right therapist for them. Um, but if, you know, I'm confident that somebody is a suitable candidate for coaching because they're focusing on what's stopping them from moving forward, what's blocking them in the life, then we'll work on moving them forward. Um, and it's amazing because it's so appropriate for any, any area of life that you would like to improve. I kind of think of it, if there's something you want to achieve or something you want to feel or something you want to be, then coaching could really help you. So for individuals, it's things like um, you might want to focus on becoming healthier, improving your self-esteem, improving relationships or tackling negative ways of thinking. You can also coach families. So in a family situation, it might be looking at improving relationships or um, improving patterns of behaviour and, and thought in that particular unit. Businesses and companies and organisations can use it for um, enhancing well-being, um, maybe increasing potential or planning for the future. You can use it in all kinds of contexts, and that's why I, I love it. I think it's so powerful. Um, and Kim Morgan, she's um, the kind of founder of the company that I've trained with, which is called Barefoot Coaching. And I recently went to a, a training day with them, and she 
she kind of referenced this quote from a coach called Tom Preston and I just loved it. It said, coaching is the most fascinating conversation about you that you'll ever have. And I think that kind of sums it up. It's just, it is, it really is potentially life changing for somebody. So, I love that um, transition from counselling to coaching, how one focuses on trying to, in some way, manage the past, but coaching is more about the future. I think that's a wonderful thing. Um, so obviously I, I, I know you as a, a friend, a teacher, a mentor, a former pastoral leader at school. Um, where, where did this interest in coaching come from? Was it born out of any sort of golden moments in school or was it just a steady process? Or Yeah, it's, a, it's really interesting because obviously preparing for this, it's kind of encouraged me to sit and really think about the path that I've been on, which I hadn't really done too much, to be, on, to be honest. Um, so it started because I took a gap year um, before I went to university. And in that year, I was a youth worker, worked with young people. And that year was was um, really, really hard work, but also incredibly life-changing. And what it brought to me was something about working with young people. And there's something about working with young people. They've got an energy and a humour that you just, uh, I just think is, is almost magical. But, you know, there's something about a story that hasn't been written yet. And, it, and it's interesting. Um, when I look back at my career path, I hadn't realised how much of it was about stories and people stories. Um, so I, I took a year out and I went to university and I actually studied um, screen studies there. Um, you know, the idea of film and I wanted to work in TV. So I did a bit of work on TV dramas and things. And again, telling stories, creating something. Um, but when it came to the end of it, I realised how much I missed working with young people. And I didn't feel ready to move to London, which at the time was the only place you could go to if you wanted a career in television. So I remember seeing this um, advert for the job that I then went on to, to get, um, which was for a learning mentor. And it somehow felt right, just in every way. Um, and I couldn't explain it. And I just went for this job and got it. And I was so privileged to be a learning mentor. And the, one of the main reasons I, f I feel privileged was that I got to work with Joe. Um, and yeah, for, for a couple of years, I was a learning mentor and it was just, at that point, I think I wanted to be a counsellor, school counsellor, because I've just always been drawn to helping people, listening to people's stories. Um, and again, it was just Joe in particular and his year group, that year group was a special year group. There was something about them and um, I'd forgotten um, until I really thought about it, but I actually deferred my application for teaching by a year because of Joe. Because um, I applied, I applied to do my teaching qualification. It was, it was, it was, you know, a natural progression from the, the role of a learning mentor working in a school. And I remember I did the application, I got an interview and everything, and then I, I, I put it off. I, I cancelled it because that group of students, I knew they were in year ten then, and I knew I'd miss them in year eleven and I wouldn't get to work with them. And I'd forgotten that until I sat and thought about my path and that they, they were special. There was something about that time that was incredibly special. Um, yeah, and just, yeah, it was like a little golden 
time and I'm just so grateful for it. I'm so grateful I made that choice as well. And, you know, having worked with them, I think that role laid the foundations for what I'm doing now as well. Um, you know, I went on to, to do my teacher training the year after um, and I've, I've taught English for, for a long time now. And again, it's that whole thing of the power of words and the power of story and conversation. I just find it. I don't know what what more is there about life or life is a story and it's something I keep coming back to and I keep learning more about and understanding that that is the for me that is what our lives are about it's a story that we tell and we get to make choices and sometimes we don't get to make choices in how we handle it and I just love it I just love anything to do with that pattern of changing someone's life and you know even when I look at my role of, as head of year it was about transition into how I was head of year seven. So it was helping families and young people through a really difficult period of change. And, and yeah, it's just so interesting when I look at my path that there's just this real common thread of people's stories, storytelling, points of transition. And, and I guess, you know, having had my own daughter and moving on in my own family life, I've just got to a point where I was like, what next? What, what, what can I do next? What is next for me? Um, and I did a bit of research. I had a conversation with a, with a lovely lady that um, is a friend of my dad and she just put the question to me, have you ever thought about coaching? And um, yeah, I just, I did a bit of research and I'd actually done a day's worth of coaching training and a teaching programme and I loved it. I'd forgotten about it. I didn't really know it was something I could do or develop and um, did some research, went on Taster Morning with Barefoot and just thought I found my thing. This is it. Like this is the next part of my journey. Yeah. yeah. Well, we, we certainly look back on on you and Joe is in your mentoring as one of the saviors of his education, Katie, without question, because he was, you know, let's be honest, as much as we love him, he wasn't the brightest tool in the box in some ways <laughs> Bless him. that's an awful thing to say isn't it? but he had dropped a couple of subjects and he went to you as a mentor and you absolutely saved his bacon in a big way and i know I'd, I'd, I'd i'm sure i must have known that you deferred your application but it had slipped, it had slipped my memory that was a wonderful thing to have done for him because he, he spent a lot of time it was virtually just was it just one 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 teacher to two students for a long time i think with chris was he yeah um, with joe in particular yeah just joe. Yeah, and, and and can I just say, it's not what I did for him, it's what he did for me. It, it Absolutely, oh. it's what he did for me because those two were just, it, those hours they were in that room were just the, the funniest. Like we were just, at this, we, it, we learned so much, but we did it in a, in a way that's different, obviously the mainstream education in the sense of in a classroom. But it was, there's was something so powerful about being a mentor and you got, you had relationships with students that, as a teacher, you just don't have time or the capability because of the time constraints and, and what you've got to do to have. And I think mentoring, you know, it's a, it's a role, I think with a lot of support staff in schools, actually, um, it's a role that maybe people don't realise when they've been teaching, if they've just done teaching, um, how just how important it is for those students because it gives them something that they don't get. I think it's only when your own child needs that support that it becomes very, very real. Um, and it was it was a god save for for Joe to to spend that time with you, and we we can't really separate St Joseph's from because he spent so many he spent eighteen years there he was there from the prep all the way through, 
to when he was 18 and you left in year 13. So, so there's no separation from obviously, you know, we lost him at 20. So we, you know, school is a massive part of what we think about and his time with you in the mentoring room there is because he used to come back with a smile on his face after every, every time he'd been with you. Um, just, just going back to when you, where did you travel to when you uh, went abroad? Where did you go to? Um, yeah, when I went traveling before. Yeah, where uh, did you go? My job. Yeah, so I went to America with my friend Charlotte. Um, Charlotte yeah. Finney? Yes, yeah. And um, at that point, we didn't know each other too well. It's quite funny how it came about. We, we didn't know each other too well, and we met through working at the same pub when we were students. But um, I mean, now that experience just cemented our friendship, and now she's like one of my best friends in the world. I just adore her. Yeah, we went to down the east coast of America. So we flew into New York. And we both cried because we looked out of the window and it was like seeing a film set all the stars. <laughs> going, you know, we both cried. And then, um, yeah, and we travelled for, I think it was just over a month, we travelled. We went to New York, Washington, um, New Orleans, Orlando, and we finished in Miami. And I'll never forget, we went in Miami one day and then Stoke the next. <laughs> I was like, how... How have I got here? <laughs> and was it was it when you were traveling? Did you just say that was when you applied for the job as a learning mentor? Was that while you were traveling? I applied for it just before I went. They actually, uh, yeah, they bought the interview forward so that I could apply and be interviewed. Um, so I was interviewed about two or three days before I left, and I left um, Britain not knowing whether I got the job or not. And I remember calling my mum from New Orleans, and um, she said, "Oh." Um, Rasheen Maguire, head teacher, she, she's rung and she says, you've got the job. And I was like, oh, I can't believe it. I remember sitting back down on the sun lounger in my hotel thinking, oh, I've got a new chapter to begin. Like, what's going to happen for me? And I could never have imagined what journey it would take me on. Um, no. Yeah. New Orleans to the potteries. Goodness yeah. me. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> so we've been, in our conversations before this interview, we've been talking about coaching in action. And we've been talking particularly about a young man who we've been supporting through the JGT. Now we're going to call him Jamie. That, that obviously is his real name, but we'll call him Jamie. And Jamie has um, written to us and he's made some comments. He's a young man who, who had um, a cancer called osteosarcoma, which is bone cancer. And he's been through rigorous chemotherapy, radiotherapy and surgery. But he's now in a position where he's in a curative stage. So, you know, the disease is gone. You know, the prognosis is looking really, really positive. And he's starting to ask questions of what next and how can I kind of gather up the pieces of my life again and move forward? So we've been discussing this, haven't we? And, and um, I think you've got some thoughts to share with us on that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I read Jamie's story and um, it is quite difficult as a coach. He, he's not in front of me and I can't have a conversation with him. So I can't see his body language as he, as he kind of said these words if you like um I can't see his facial expression or hear his voice and I would get so much more out of those things um if he were in front of me but having read what he's written a couple of sentences really jumped out at me um and they gave they kind of prompted me into thinking about well if he was here and he just said those things to me um what kind of questions would I be asking him to think about so I've just come up with a few questions for him specifically, but also I'm guessing other people who may be listening um, to think about. And 
I just hope it helps him. Um, but I hope it helps somebody else as well. Um, yeah. So the first thing he wrote that really stood out to me was he wrote, um, you believe you're invincible and you have the whole world at your feet. And obviously he's talking at the point just before diagnosis. Um, so just a couple of questions and, and observations there really that, you know, you, there's two beliefs there. You believe you're invincible and you have the whole world at your feet. So to me, there's something about those beliefs being challenged. And coaching really focuses on the beliefs that people have and why they have them, how ingrained they are and what we can do to change them if they're negative. So I guess I'd like to ask him, um, what beliefs does he have now about particularly having the whole world at his feet? Is that something that's still possible for him? What does he believe about the future? What would he want his future to look like? Um, and is there something there about possibility? Like what is now possible for him as he looks forward? Um, the second thing he wrote that really stood out to me was, I found it quite emotional to read it as well. I was forced to grow up very quickly. Um, and the, that word forced is so powerful. That I'm sensing something there around a control, a lack of control maybe. Um, so I guess I'd want to ask him then with what he's been through, what has he lost and what has he gained? through what he's been through as well. Is there anything that he lost that he could now find again as he looks forward to a future? And this is a really powerful question that I absolutely love you. Anyone can use this question in any situation, whether it's something at work or something in personal life. It's just, I have to remind myself of this all the time. What are you assuming about this situation that might be holding you back? So what are you assuming might happen or be the case but it is an assumption it's not knowledge so what are you assuming that might be holding you back and then the last question which is, is maybe one of the most important things that he said was I'm starting to think what next and that question so many people have that question so often in their life but particularly in this situation um, I'd like to ask him who are you now who are you now with everything you've been through? Who are you now? What do you want to keep in your life? What would you like to change in your life? Is there anything holding you back currently from being able to move forward? And as you look forward to the future, how do you want to feel in that future? And what do you need to do to get to that feeling? So they're just some questions that you know, as I say, he's not here and I can't speak to him, but just from those little sentences, it just kind of, if, he, if he'd said them to me, those are the kind of things I might want to ask him. Fabulous. Well, Jamie knows that this podcast has been recorded today. He's looking forward to hearing it. And I'll also share the resource with him that you've done. And then maybe if it's okay with you, I'll pass on your email address and if he wants to contact you then he can do in there and i'm cool. sure that will be a massive help to him and I, th I think it's a there's there's some real lessons for us all in that katie in those questions mm. you know whether you're in cancer treatment or thinking of making an, an, any change in your life i think it's always a good time to stop pause and reflect isn't it and 
absolutely think i think things. it's something that people just don't have in their lives is time and space to sit down and to think i mean and i say this it be you know guilty of it myself in the busyness of our lives and in particularly at the moment the way the world is but you know we are we're so busy with families and work and just i don't know trying to pursue you know whatever it is we're trying to pursue but how often do we actually just sit down in quiet on our own with no phone nothing to distract you and just give yourself that gift of space and time most people don't have that in their lives and coaching gives you that and you know i think that you know working working with a coach is one of the most powerful things that's happened to me it certainly changed my life um obviously i've experienced a lot of coaching through my training um but i've seen it in other people as well i've seen people respond to it in the most powerful of ways like and i've had clients say to me things like i feel like you've hypnotized me or i can't believe i've never realized this before or you know things like it's quite literally changed my life and it's because they've been given the time and the space to think and i just think it's something that humans need a lot more of absolutely somebody said recently um i was speaking to that, that before we can plan our future we need to really learn to appreciate the present is that something that you would agree with oh that's interesting um i think the present moment is something that we don't pay enough attention to actually and i think that yeah for me yeah i guess so because it's that whole thing of giving yourself time in the present to to stop and to think about what you want and who you are and i think they're massive questions like if i said to someone listening who are you and what do you want i think most people struggle at first to, to even think of those answers those questions but in knowing those two things in the present it opens up the future yeah absolutely because people like Jamie and other uh, people who are listening to this today on different cancer units on down the country, all, all that you really have is the present moment, because if you're in treatment, you're not really allowed to think beyond that, or at least it's very difficult to, because everything is about your next treatment plan and the next radiotherapy or chemotherapy treatment. So you tend to be living within this bubble really. And then all of a sudden you burst through the bubble as Jamie's done. And he's, you know, you're starting to think, you know, what do I do next? So I think that's some fantastic advice there, Katie. Yeah, and I, th I think if you're in that situation where the future seems to be this thing that's so far away and unreachable because of the barriers that you are currently experiencing in the present, that's where it's really helpful to look at what you believe about what's happening to you and what stories you're telling yourself about what's happening to you and around you. And what you know what choice you do have and this is the thing i mean i'm reading this absolutely amazing book which i'd recommend to anyone who is interested in writing or creating anything like that at the moment it's um, by a writer called will Stall, and it's called the science of storytelling and what he he's written it from the perspective of a writer um he's done a lot of research into neuroscience and how how we think about things and humans respond naturally to story but the way that the brain works, um, we naturally kind of 
look for the scariest version of events and we because we want to be even in evolutionary terms we want to be prepared for any danger so we tell ourselves stories every single day whatever situation we're in about what's happening so we experience the world through our senses but then the brain constructs a version of events so it might be i believe that person doesn't like me or i believe that um i don't know like uh, you know i'm never going to feel a certain way again but that's a story i'm telling myself based on all kinds of things whether it's my upbringing my experiences um, my personality traits so you take in this view of the world and you form a story about it well whether that story is accurate or not we don't tend to question um and you know i think that whole thing of when you feel like your future is hard to grasp focusing on how you're thinking in the present can be a really helpful thing to focus on and just to challenge yourself that question of what stories am i telling myself that i'm just believing and it's so interesting how you know we've talked about my career path how much of my career the, the highlights of my career have focused on this idea of an inner voice and what that inner voice tells you about yourself so most people have an inner voice that criticizes them and they tend to listen to that voice over anything else and that really steers a lot of people's behavior and actions and thoughts and so if you can challenge yourself on the present that's where your future becomes a much more positive place i think yeah i think for, for some people the ego can also play a part in that process as well can't it mm. um and that can um that can sometimes steer decisions that you make in life. Um, so that will, I'll, I'll put a link in the description to that book, Katie, the, the science of storytelling. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Wonderful. Just yeah. some, something you said earlier struck a chord with me in that you, you were saying that you in the, the, there's a resilience and enthusiasm working with young people. Yeah. And I think that that's really what Jamie said in his opening statement in that he felt, he felt, you know, invincible. And I think when you're in your teens, you do feel bulletproof, don't you? You feel that whatever life, you know, you never think in a million years you're going to get, a, a, you know, an illness like cancer when you're, you know, a teenager. I think it hits, hits you much harder. Mm -hmm. um, but there is a, it's amazing when you spend time on the cancer units, there is a, you know, resilience there. There's a, a you know, positivity amongst that particular age group that's tangible. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not sure where it you know where it comes from really. I think as you as you get older, life batters you a little bit, and you become a bit more cynical and a bit more, you know, worrying really. But um, no, thank you. That's some there's some wonderful advice there. Now I want to talk about music because you, you're from a musical family. You've got an incredibly musical brother and you, you know, what, 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 what's music mean to you? Is, is there any kind of landmark moments that you can think about connected to music that have really, you know, impacted on your life? Yeah, it's interesting because I've great, like you say, I've grown up in um, a house full of music. My dad particularly um, is always, he was always a, a teacher, but he, um, He's always had his own business since before I was born, um, selling a really specific musical instrument, a concertina, which most people don't even like. They're like, oh, oh, what? And it's like when you say squeeze box, most people go, oh, right, yeah. <laughs> so, I, and you know, particularly he, he is 
very much about folk music and Irish music in particular. And um, so I've grown up in that sense of music and I was musical myself as well um, growing up. Um, I used to play the flute and the piano and weirdly the recorder. <laughs> I don't know why I, put it. I was secondary school. <laughs> to play the recorder but there you go so um yeah and I was re I was really musical um and it was funny I mean I, I gave that up myself personally um at, when I as soon as I left school um for just in terms of how I was taught it really um and what I was allowed to explore musically and what I wasn't and I really it was only when I went to St Joseph's and met you and Julia and Derek um, and Chris, which I know are names that might not mean anything to some people, but to others listening, they will mean the world. Um, the, the staff, the music staff at St Joseph's, and I started to, it started to come back into my life purely through the music at St Joseph's. Um, I realised how much I loved it, and actually how much it was within me. And um, yeah, there's been so many times I wish I'd been at St Joseph's because if I'd been taught by you guys, I would still have it. I'm convinced of that. I would still have it in my life because it's very much, it's something I shut the door on. Uh, and because of my experience, I shut the door on it and I wish I'd, I'd been able to leave that door open, I suppose. And then my brother, Kieran, um, I mean, he, he was born when I was 15. It's quite an age gap between us. But I mean, I, I love that because it meant that, again, I had a role in his life that I wouldn't have had if I'd been this more similar in age. I used to drive him to school every day and, um, you know, he he has just done incredible things. He continues to do incredible things with music, um, and I find him really inspirational. And he's got that love of music because he's been taught by you guys. So, uh, yeah, I mean, in terms of standout moments, I have to say, the majority of them come from time at St Joseph's. Um, you know, I'll ne the, the thing that makes me, even now I think about it, the, the kind of hairs on the back of my neck stand up is when he was in year seven and uh, it was the Christmas carol service and he came out and he'd only just been at the school a couple of months and, and he did be performed in uh, quite a leading role, I guess, in this um, version of a, a song called Toss the Feathers. And the fact it's got feathers in the title, anyone who knows that that's quite a symbolic thing for me a feather um in terms of like angels and all that kind of thing but yeah he just came out and I know ne I'll never forget standing watching him and it was just the most incredible moment and a lot of my standout moments are to do with um the music of of St Joseph's and the music of Kieran oh, as well so, yeah. well I mean I'll, I'll I'll put a link in the description as, as well to Kieran because for those of you that don't know Kieran he's world class Irish fiddle player and uh, he, did, he did a quiz you know for some of it I don't know if I've told you this already but he did a quiz for some of his former school friends and one of the questions was what what was Kieran's first performance in year seven at the Victoria Hall and what was his final performance in year 13 and of course it was Toss the Feathers in year seven and the fairy tale of New York in year yeah. 13 that was that that was the kind of you know the bookend of his time there but all those times, I mean, everything links back to St. Joseph's, doesn't it? I suppose for, for us anyway. Um, yeah. Was, was there ever a time there where you, where you felt under pressure or, or stressed? Perhaps when you're in perhaps you, your pastoral <laughs> role, was that to? <laughs> I think any teacher, any teacher um, 
yeah has to say yes to that surely I don't think I know a teacher who doesn't experience any stress I suppose it's the nature the nature of the job I guess isn't it uh, the reason I ask it is that it, you know, I think stress and pressure can bring out the best and the worst in people but how does it affect you when when you feel stressed how does that affect you and you know how do you cope with it I mean yeah it, do, it does affect me I have to be it's something I have to manage um, and I've learned that I've got to manage it myself um, because no one can do it for you as well. Like the stress that you feel, a lot of my stress comes from my job, but also again, coming back to this thing, the stories you're telling yourself. For me, I have to really work on um, perfectionism. It's definitely my uh, thing and people pleasing. I'm like a coach's dream. <laughs> but, <laughs> Those, and I've, I've really worked on those two things through coaching on my course, actually, because obviously you have to take part in um, like different um, exercises and activities to develop your skills. So perfectionism and people-pleasing and where that comes from are massive things that I've had to work through. Um, but because I'm aware of it now, and I, I can challenge those thought patterns, so I'm actually feel like I'm getting better with it. Um, because I'm aware of it now, but um, yeah, that's where my stress comes from. Wanting to do the best by everybody all the time, not wanting to let anybody down. Everything's got to be the best it can be. Otherwise I haven't done a good enough job. It's like, I know where yeah. you're coming from. How do you de-stress? How do you switch off? Definitely music. And that's become much more important to me in recent months, I would say. Just suddenly got this like, voice in my head starting to say to me you need to listen to more I don't know where it came from don't ask me where it came from but this like a sense of you need to be listening to music more often because I just stopped um I wasn't listening to music at all probably about this time last year and it just really like came to me like, I've got to start getting it back into my life so I've made a real effort to explore new music revisit old music and that really helps me listening podcasts definitely audiobooks as well um, and what I love about those is you know I've got a, a young child so I can I can do I can access those things when I'm ironing or cleaning up you know something that helps me to manage my time but I'm still accessing something amazing definitely something I've discovered while we've been in lockdown is gardening which I can't believe I'm saying um, I've always just seen it as like old people garden <laughs> and that, if i'm not gardening then i'm old <laughs> i watch programs well, about narrow boats and things like that don't they <laughs> yeah but i think i've just started to realize there's something about your focus when you're outside in a garden doing something because your focus goes from the world and the craziness of the world to this one tiny little space i think it's that like all i'm thinking about is this one little patch of soil i've got a weed or I don't know, one little thing I've got to sort out. And it, it gets you into that state of flow. And so, yeah, gardening, definitely reading, obviously being an English teacher, reading is massively important. But something that I have to say, maybe above everything else, is journaling, is writing things down. Um, that's become, again, it's this whole thing of, you know, what I've learned and how I've become a bit wiser recently is um, the power of writing something down by hand I mean, research shows that actually it's much more powerful. The brain fires up in different places when you actually write by hand rather than type or, or put something on a phone. Um, but journaling just helps you to think through anything. And you don't even have to know what to write when you start. 
Um, there's another amazing book called The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron. And she's got this thing called Morning Pages. And what she says is that every single morning you should get up and you should write for um, three write three pages in a, in a notebook. And you can start off by just writing, I'm sitting here, writing them in the notebook. I don't know what I'm writing about. The sky's blue. I want a cup of tea, whatever it is. Um, but she, she says by the third page, something of importance and significance will come out because you're opening up that flow in your brain to um, get to the things that need to come out. And so I started doing that. Um, and I'll be honest, I don't always do it. I don't do it in the morning. I don't always manage three pages. But I think it's just that, it, it you know, having tried it, it works. And it's just for, there's something so powerful about getting it out of your head and onto paper for me. It definitely does work. It's something that you told me about a few, a number of weeks ago, and it definitely works. I think if you get yourself a moleskin journal and a new pen and just go and just and just do it, and I think it helps. Um, as you say, I'm not sure why, but it certainly does help. Um, I think it's absolutely brilliant. Um, and I think it, I think if you can get yourself into audio books and podcasts and reading as well, it just you know transport you to different places, doesn't it? I think it helps too. Absolutely de-stress in that way um i want to ask you a question that i ask every guest if you don't mind katie and it's it's um it's an interesting one this is is there something that you believe to be true that others would disagree with is there something you believe to be true that others would disagree with mm, that's a good question i'm guessing yeah the thing that comes to mind is is very much the I guess the spiritual side of things for me. Um, I, I would say that I'm quite a spiritual person, quite open to um, many different truths and beliefs about the world that we live in. I think that there's so much more going on that we don't understand. Um, but I'm also a massive believer in science. I think science is the most amazing thing that we have. What science can do and what humans can do is incredible. Um, and for me, science is, is proof of some kind of belief in a, in a spiritual world. I feel like it's a, it's a miracle. Um, and I say that without being necessarily, I don't necessarily class myself as really religious as such. It's more, very, the word is spiritual and open to spiritual beliefs, I guess. Um, so, yeah, I suppose that, that is something that, that people, other people might not agree with me on. Um, which is that, you know, that's what makes the world amazing. Everyone's got such different beliefs. So. Just at the start now of this, this interest and this new journey into coaching, but ev everything that they connected with you as young people, isn't it? And I think whether you're teaching and you've, you know, English and you've taught RE in the past and you've been a mentor. And um, I just think that, I just think that, it, you know, it's going to feel a little bit scary, but I think you're doing exactly the right thing. I think coaching and moving forward in that way is where you've, where you're kind of meant to go i really do um yeah it, it, it does feel like that i guess it ties in with the last question the idea of i feel a sense of purpose and it's very much a feeling that i'm meant to be on this path so if you are one of our friends currently receiving treatment in one of the young persons units up and down the UK and you'd like to know more about Katie's work then there will be a link in the description below in this podcast 
um, or you could go directly to our website juggleagantrust.co.uk and you will see this wonderful resource that Katie's put together that should help you to move forward positively into the next phase of your lives. Um, So thanks for listening. Thank you, Katie. We'll see you next time on the JGT podcast.